Hello, and thank you for listening to the Teaching Math Teaching Podcast. The Teaching Math Teaching Podcast is sponsored by the Association of Mathematics Teacher Educators, a community of math teacher educators learning to teach math teachers better. I'm your co-host, Dusty Jones, and joining me today is Jen Wolf. Jen, how are you doing today? Good. Glad to be here. Great. Uh, today, we're talking with Dr. Sean Nank, who is a, a distinguished teacher in residence and an adjunct professor at California State University, San Marcos, a full professor at American College of Education, and works for Oceanside Uni Unified School District in California. We're talking to Sean because of his work as a mathematics teacher and coach who helps highlight and celebrate students' mathematics, and also because of his role as editor of the Journal of Mathematics Education Leadership. So we've got lots of stuff to talk about. Uh, welcome, Sean. How are you doing today? I'm doing great. How are you doing? I, I'm doing well. Thanks for asking. Yeah, I had I had a faculty meeting today, and that always I feel uh before they start, and when they get done, I'm like, yay, it's done. So <laughs> excited for the podcast. Um, can you take a minute to introduce yourself? Maybe say a little bit more. Maybe more than I already mentioned. What did I miss? Um, well, I'm going to date myself and say I changed my name. Hello, my name is Inigo Montoya. You killed my father, prepared to die. <laughs> the longer I go on with that, the less people know what I mean. <laughs> no, it's, um, I guess, pertinent to the talk. Uh, well, I'm on the NCSM board. I recently became a board member a couple of weeks ago for the, awesome. uh, and I'm the editor for the JML there. Uh, also relevant to this talk, I've been a two-term past president for the Greater San Diego Mathematics Council. Okay. Bunch of odd jobs here and there from the NSF, U.S. Department of Education, California Commission of Teacher Credentialing. I've been a coach as well, worked for Illustrative Mathematics and LearnZillion as well, wrote some curricula. Just finished my term as an NCTM MARC member as well. Mm -hmm. um, I, like I said, I write curriculum, I author some things. But if I had to say the most important aspect, not pertinent to this talk, but it kind of is because it changes the way I lead and teach is I'm a dad to the most amazingly wonderful daughter that anybody could ever ask for. Cool. So. Yeah, that's, that's awesome. That's, and, and in a way it is relevant to this talk because um, it is who you are. And so uh, yeah. we, we've talked with other people who have said, you know, I need to bring my full self uh, into this uh, role. So uh, how did you, th this is the Teaching Math Teaching Podcast, and so we like to ask people, how did you get your start in this? How did you start teaching math teachers, maybe as a math coach? Yeah, well, I, after I received my doctorate, uh, I started teaching math teachers at a couple of universities, so American College of Education in Cal State San Marcos. But I also found myself um, kind of falling into other leadership roles that I wasn't necessarily pursuing. It's just when you work with good people, you find out what they're doing and you start doing it with them. Um, I'd say the way that I really started teaching it and getting my coaching legs under me was my big break to really scale my impact, so to say, where when Steve Leinwand introduced me to Eric Westendorf and I got to work with LearnZillion starting in 2014. That's when I really started like learning from coaches how to coach and see how they worked with other people. Um, it, it, with that as well, I also worked for different companies going around the country teaching math teachers how to teach better 
designing professional development for people. Uh, so I kind of slid into it. I wasn't really looking for the role. Mm -hmm. It was more a matter of opportunities presented itself. And I said, yes. Yeah, that's cool. That's cool. So when you started uh, doing, you know, working with LearnZillion, is that, is that curriculum writing? Is that, what, what were you doing with LearnZillion? I was a coach mm -hmm. to people who were writing the curriculum. Okay. So we had subsets of people as we started adding with the LearnZillion curriculum, I would coach the teachers who were writing the, at first the, um, first the videos and the lessons, then the mm -hmm. chapters. That, um, so that's how I started with that. And then it yeah. just evolved from there. Yeah. So what was the best advice that you received uh, when you started doing that? <laughs> Don't screw them up. <laughs> 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 I'm kind of half kidding, but maybe not because we right, can yeah. do harm in those positions. I mean, I, I think to myself about all the people who've coached me and who've led me and some of them have done not good a job. Mm. Other people just kind of left me alone, which was great. But there's a few who just totally changed my trajectory. Mm. But um, in terms of advice, when I started out, I was kind of solo. I didn't really have a mentor mm. for coaching math teachers or teaching math teachers or anything like that. But I would say now that I've gotten to know more people who do this as a profession, some of the things that they tell me now that I wish I had known before, so I would have made less mistakes mm -hmm. <laughs> is uh, to get rid of my imposter syndrome. Because when you're in the classroom, you think you're just a math teacher, but that's the most important job in the world. But there is a difference. There's a transition when you start coaching and when you start leading. Um, so now in terms of what people have told me, I would say the best type of advice that I have receipts since then is just that I'm thinking of something that a dear friend of mine, Keith Armstrong, who's the most lovely, profound human being I have or will ever meet, mm. gave me advice. And he said that it's, it's hard to choose the one thing that, um, that he said, because he said so many things. But if I had to, the advice would be that to share myself with the teachers to share myself with the people that I'm coaching and leading because he let me know that I was worth it. And that what I had to say mattered and that people need to hear that they matter as well. Yeah. Um, he also said people need to feel the way that I teach so that they can know how they should let their students feel uh, so they can let people know that they care. I think the thing though, that really pushed me over the edge to start, um, leading and start coaching and teaching math teachers was when a, a librarian uh, was talking to me and somebody else got a leadership position. And he just looked at me and he said, if not you, then who? <laughs> Somebody's going to get that position. Somebody's going to coach. So I think you'd be great at it. Why aren't you going for these types of positions? And that's when I thought, oh, okay. It's, it's that person who I never thought of myself that way, but somebody else did. So maybe there's something to it. Yeah, that's great. That, uh, Jen, that sounds a little bit like that shoulder tapping uh, that we talked yeah. about earlier. Yeah. So I'm curious, Sean, you talked a little bit about earlier um, the this imposter syndrome feeling, right? And so mm -hmm. in your coaching, like what have you done to kind of help others who might be in a similar position, like other teachers? Have you encountered that or other teachers 
have felt kind of imposter or should they be teaching math or how to teach math? Yeah. And it's quite honestly, the lower the grade level, the more that is. Uh, so when I coach at the high school level, the math, sometimes you have to coach about the math, but more you have to coach about making sure that they realize that it's never about the math. It's always about the people. But at the elementary level, I find myself with uh, the majority of the people trying to get them to realize that math isn't the way they experienced it. And math is it, that they're good at math, that they're math people, that they know how to do it. They just need to figure out a different way of thinking about mathematics so they can help their students learn it in a different way than what they were exposed to. So for a lot of people, especially at the elementary level, it's a matter of getting them over that math phobia, getting them over that imposter syndrome of, I didn't know what this stuff was, and I'm never going to know what it is, and let them realize that there's a beauty in mathematics that they maybe haven't seen before. And it's actually, in my opinion, when you start thinking about it conceptually instead of procedurally, it's easier because then the students get to talk about what the math really is instead of just memorizing an algorithm. Mm. Yeah, that's cool. Besides helping people get over uh, their imposter syndrome, or what, what other advice would you give to somebody who was starting as a coach? I think the single biggest thing I would say is before day one, you need to know your why. So you can move through this role with purpose. Uh, and another aspect is, especially if you're going into a coaching role that's outside of the classroom, you may not have a classroom of your own. People who are lucky enough to have one or two classes and coach, I think that's wonderful because they're still rooted in the classroom. And mm -hmm. I'm going to say this one way, but then I'm going to try to clean it up so I don't throw myself under the bus. But okay. if you're coaching people and you're outside of the classroom, it's kind of a matter of stop telling us what to do. <laughs> and the clarity in that is that if you're outside of the K through 12 classroom, then I mean, nobody forgets the fact that the people who matters most are the students. And then if I had to choose for the adults who matter the most, that's going to be the teachers. And then comes us as leaders in the hierarchy. One thing that I realized because I taught for a quarter of a century, and then I went to Cal State San Marcos full time as a distinguished teacher in residence, and now I'm back in the classroom. Within six months of being out of the classroom for those three years, I felt like I was losing subtle perspectives of what it's like to be in the classroom with class sizes of 42 to 52. Mm -hmm. It isn't bad as it is what it is, but our job is hard in the classroom. And when you're outside of the classroom, then it's a matter of showing people empathy and realizing that you forget <laughs> just last week, I was trying to start a third period class and I had five students have needs that they need, that they need attended to within the first two minutes. And then within the first five minutes, I had three adults popping in to interrupt me with nothing having to do with the class. And then I had to like get everything back on track. Mm -hmm. When I was outside of the classroom for those couple of years, you tend to forget like exactly the dynamic mm -hmm. and the calmness it takes as a teacher. So it's a matter of, I, I'll qualify it. Instead of telling us what to do, listen, mm -hmm. center yourself in the knowledge that you're not responsible for the students. If you're a coach, you're responsible for the people who are responsible for the students. Um, 
So that's why in even more so when I wasn't in the classroom teaching the university courses, I would always start all my courses, especially with the, the credential or the licensure uh, students with four words, which is, how's it going? And that's how I coach too. I always start with a how's it going because especially if I'm out of the classroom, it helps me to listen and linger in that conversation with empathy. And it helps me to root myself and my purpose in their reality. Because even if I, yeah, I designed a protocol of coaching where I was in the classroom still and I had the same, uh, the same classes as uh, the people I was coaching, which was wonderful because I was going through the same things they were. But even then, when I was in the classroom coaching them, I would still ask how it's going because, well, today, I'll tell you right now, my third period for my fifth period class, totally different. <laughs> so you can't assume that you know what somebody else is going through or what the students are like, because we're all dynamically, beautifully interesting. And it doesn't take much to uh, change what the culture of a classroom can be like. Yeah. That's so important because what I, I'm getting from this from you is that you really approach it from like a partnership view. Like we have this title of coach on it, but it sounds like you come at it from a, I'm in partnership and learning from and with you as we try to figure out this teaching journey thing. Right. Yeah. And even more so than that, it's a matter of if you're out of the classroom in any coaching or any type of leadership position, teaching at a university, um, whatever it may be you have the luxury of time, which people in the classroom don't have. Mm -hmm. So that makes you invaluable because it, like teachers can say something and we don't have enough hours in the day, week, month, or year to actually do something with what we're saying a lot of the times. So we have to pick and choose our battles because we're teaching all the time. But for people who aren't, as we listen, we have the luxury of that time to think really deeply about it and come back to that conversation with, well, I found these resources and I really thought about what you were saying. And let's try this, this, or this, not a matter of, I'm going to tell you what's going to work, but it's more a matter of, I listened to you. I thought about it. Let's see if this works it is kind of the way I like the conversation going. And then it is a partnership because it's all about relationships. I mean, every, every aspect of education is all about relationships and I've seen coaches who have great relationships and they get teachers to do things that I never thought they could do. But if you don't have that relationship, <laughs> it's kind of like you have to have the conversation before you have the conversation. <laughs> so Yeah. Going back to the relationships, right? Not just between you and the people that you're coaching, but then like showing a parallel to um, when the teachers are working with their students, that that's a community and we're learning together yeah. like from and with one another, right? Yeah. And it's also in order to do that, it's kind of a matter of <laughs> seek psychological counseling if you want to become a coach, not because you're crazy, but because you, in order to be a teacher, you really need to know yourself because your students are going to figure out who you are. Mm. Same thing with a coach. The teachers are going to see right through you. So you really need to know who you are. So that's some other advice I could give is Re take a personality test, see if you're amiable, driver, analytical, or expressive. That comes from uh, People Styles at Work and Beyond, a book. Okay. Um, and it, it sounds weird to say, but know your love language. Uh, you have, what is it, physical touch, quality time, words of affirmation, acts of service, and gifts. It's a five love languages book from Chapman. And yeah, it's about love, but it's about every relationship. 
I think so. Like one of the people I was coaching, they weren't getting along too well with most of the people on campus. The first time I met with this person, my goal was to find out what was their personality and what's their language, what's their love language. And as soon as I found out that they were words of affirmation, I was able to see that that's the one thing that they weren't getting. Mm -hmm. And it doesn't mean that you make stuff up. It means that you find something good to say, and it really matters to that person that you say something good about them when you meet them. And then that helps build the relationship and it helps them to hear things and that they really need to hear that they might not have heard without that. Yeah. One of uh, this, all you're talking about uh, coaches reminds me of some coaches I had, and I had some really excellent coaches when I taught fourth grade. Um, And my, my math coach, um, we hadn't, I hadn't thought through all this, but one of my love languages is uh, like my top one is probably acts of service. And one that I am not good at and, and don't really care so much about is gifts. And so when it came to be teacher appreciation day and people are giving me a mug with some candy in it. I'm like, well, yes, I'll eat the candy, but um, I don't really care so much about the mug. Thank you. I feel appreciated. Thanks. But when she came in and had cut out uh, 100 nets for cubes so that my students could do something with that, I thought, oh, you have given me this act of service. Thank you so much. It really meant a lot to me. Um, right. And so, and, and maybe not so much to somebody else. I don't know, but I know that meant a lot to me. So you're really helping me reflect on some of my own experiences that I've had as a teacher uh, as well. Yeah. That's great. And yeah, once you know theirs too, then you can start couching it under what they're going to hear. Yeah. And it's kind of tricky too, because I'm not, I am not gifts. I tested, it, it, you guys can buy me anything you want. I'll be really appreciative. Send me whatever you want, but <laughs> I'm not gifts. But here's the way you tricked yourself. If somebody gives you a gift for me, I am 100% dead even with uh, quality time and physical touch. Mm. So for me to value gifts, I look for the quality time that they spent to think about me, to think of a good gift. Mm. And then that gift means the world to me. So Mm. that's great. That reframing and thinking about it in a different way. Yeah. Yeah. So one of the things we like to do um, with the podcast is help people um, who are who are working at, at maybe they're new, maybe they're they've been doing this for a long time, but just giving some tips and tricks and advice uh, of uh, different things. And one that we talk about this season is setting boundaries and priorities so that we get the right things done and still enjoy our lives. Um, so we're not trying to say how do you just get things done because productivity maybe is at, for, in and of itself is not the goal, uh, but there are things that we need to get done. And so what have you done uh, or how, how do you, how do you set those boundaries and priorities so that you get the right things done, still enjoy your life? And I'm, I'm guessing talking about your daughter and experiences with her might come into this since that's one of the uh, things that you do to enjoy your life, uh, spend time, yeah. spending quality time with her, I guess, as I make some inferences. Yeah. And one of the aspects to that too, is realizing that you have to take care of yourself to take care of others. Mm-hmm. Um, and one of the things I think of when I finally decide to take a little time off is that one of my goals when I coach and lead is to be far less memorable. Um, what I mean by that is like, it, we all want to be remembered, but as leaders, like the biggest impact we can make on people are the changes that they thread through their, through their purpose. It like becomes a part of them 
so they really can't tell that it came from us. So that kind of like helps me to realize that it's about them. But if I don't make it about me every once in a while, I'm not going to be able to do that. Mm-hmm. Um, <laughs> to be quite <laughs> honest with the first, the first thing I think of is, um, if you figure it out, let me know <laughs> in terms of balancing uh, sure. uh, too many jobs. But I'm reminded of a, of a quote that I heard on uh, Dexter, the series. Um, it, it went something like, embrace those who seek the truth, but beware those who say they've already found it. So <laughs> I'm going to tell you right now, I haven't found the answer to this, sure. but I, I okay, I'll say, I found the answer to this, but I am not good because the answer is like learning the power of now. And I just don't do that often because it's hard to say no when you can make an impact, but it's critical Mm -hmm. to make sure that you're not spread too thin. So like a concrete example I could give you is when the pandemic started, I started taking on way too many projects and I started working way too many hours and that's bled into this, you know, today. You just kind of, it doesn't feel like work when you're passionate about it until it really starts feeling like work because you're overwhelmed. So one of the things I started doing was I chose a time during the day, every evening and on the weekend, and I would take my laptop and I would unplug it. And then as soon as the battery was dead, I'm done. So that kind of gave me a count. And there's been times that I've plugged the laptop back in, but if I'm doing good for the day, (laughs) when the battery's low, 20% or less, if it's a Mac and it has eight hours of battery life, unplug it at about nine or 10 o'clock in the morning. Mm -hmm. But for mine, I got a PC and I know at about three or four o'clock, I'm going to unplug it so that when it goes dead, I'm done for the day. And that's really helped me a lot to have that just cue of you've been where you were supposed to stop a couple hours ago and now your battery's dying. Uh Stop, (laughs) just go do something else. But it's also that aspect of finding time. Like just yesterday, if you don't make the space, then you can't say yes. So just yesterday, I got into dance because my daughter's into dance. And I started, long story short, I never thought I'd do ballet for a single day in my life. But then I started doing it with her. And then by 2019, I tried out kind of as a joke. And I was a part of a professional ballet company mm-hmm. doing the Nutcracker. Um, and I just got a call yesterday. They said, we need, we need guys for the Nutcracker. Do you want to do it? So it's that aspect of, okay, I need to start saying no to some things so that I can do that because I really need to have the things that I'm passionate about to recharge me. Otherwise, we're all going to burn out sooner or mm. later. Yeah. That's, so, I, I really like that laptop thing. That's, that's a nice tip, right? Because it's like, okay, that's a nice check-in. Are your batteries low? Mm-hmm. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, Maybe you need to find out what's going to recharge you. Your laptop's yeah. battery is low. So what can you do to kind of recharge yourself? Yeah, that's that's yeah. great. So, Sean, one thing that um, that we wanted to talk to you about uh, relates to a talk that you gave at ShadowCon just a couple months ago. In, in Whenever people are listening to this, in 2022, um, and uh, you spoke about emphasizing students' mathematics and the beauty and patterns that students see. And so I'm wondering what are some practical strategies you've used uh, maybe this year to help emphasize the students' mathematics and what they see and, and how that's impacted the educational space with your students? Yeah, that's, um, I can give you some concretes and then tell you the why behind it. Okay. Uh, one of the aspects is, in yeah, if you want to watch the ShadowCon video, it's on my website or it's, it's on ShadowCon's website as well. 
we'll um, put it on the show notes too. Just yeah, to we'll link it in the show notes. Thanks. Um, it's the first thing is like one of the things I said was that there was way too much of our math in math classrooms. So it's a matter of getting students' voices heard and getting it heard in a mathematical way and in a personal way, because when it comes down to it, we need to embrace who we are as educators so that we can help our students embrace who they are so we can embrace the mathematics together. Because if we don't hear them, then they're not going to hear the mathematics. They're not going to see it. So there's a couple of things that I've done, and I have a hundred different things come to mind, but there's things I'm trying this year. One is uh, blank walls. Uh, what I did was I stripped my walls. I gave myself my little corner of 10% mine, I can put whatever I want on it. The other 90%, the first day of school, I told the students, why am I going to tell you that this is our classroom and this is our mathematics and I'm going to layer the walls with things that you may not care about. Bring stuff in. Bring stuff in that you're passionate about. Bring stuff in that, I told them, on week 17, when you are out of energy, bring something that you want to put on the wall that when you look at it on that day, it makes you happy. Mm. As long as it's school appropriate, <laughs> bring in anything that you want. Um, the other thing is a best friend. I call it the best friend, like not in a creepy best friend way, but pick a student or two that doesn't talk that much in your class and act like they're the best friend that you haven't seen for a while. Hey, how's it going? How was your weekend? And it's funny now that I'm doing this, they're starting to ask me the same questions. What'd you do this weekend? How'd it go? How's your day going? Stuff like that. But I purposefully try to pick students who I haven't heard from lately so I can have the conversation that's has nothing to do with the mathematics so that we can have the conversation about math. I started doing a Thursday share day as well. It's kind of like a show and tell, but not really because you don't have to show anything. It's just tell us about yourselves. Mm -hmm. And another thing that I started doing that really took a lot of um, coming out of the box for me, like out of my comfort zone is I would periodically wear a kilt because I'm Irish and Scottish. So I told them, this just came about the first week. They're like, what are you going to do to show us who you are? I'm like, well, I wear a kilt. And they said, well, why don't you wear it? I said, maybe I will. So Wednesday's kilt day. <laughs> <laughs> and there was one Wednesday where I forgot to put it on. There's like, well, where's your kilt? <laughs> so it's just kind of doing things that let you them You were wearing know. pants instead, maybe. Yeah. Okay. <laughs> yeah. I put something on. <laughs> but one of the really tangible things, though, that I just started up right now, it's a passion project that's been evolutionary. It started out as a modeling, mathematical modeling project, but then I started working with a colleague and we really tightened it up. So the passion project is they group together, they pick their passion. And then what they do is they find a grade specific mathematical construct that has to do with their passion and what they wind up doing with that I have a rubric and everything else for it and directions and they just shoot a two-minute video with their group where they show us their passion and they show the mathematics inherent in their passion and I try to push them to not say something like well my passion is dancing and I counted the number of heartbeats that's great but let's go a little bit deeper into what's mm -hmm. what is really the underlying mathematics because then I hope I mean, I know that I'll find more about that, more I'll find out more about them through their passion, but I hope that it kind of bleeds over to the mathematics. And my pitch to them is, yeah, I mean, no, you don't need to know the mathematics in order to be passionate, but it's another way of looking at the world. It's another way of looking at your passion. And maybe there's something you'll see in your passion that you wouldn't have seen if you didn't look at it mathematically. So you can be better at it, more passionate about it. Um, 
but it's all of them are designed to make sure that no matter the pedagogical strategy, curricula, structure, goals, it's always a matter of asking them what they think about it and listening to them. And it's also a matter of, I won't spoiler alert the ShadowCon video, but it's don't do what I've done for four decades, which is I kept things, I, I plan on keeping things about myself a secret my entire life, but then I realized that I was lying to everybody by omission. And I wasn't sharing a part of myself that I should be sharing with my students. And it's funny because that just happened like two, three weeks ago from when we were recording this. And I already had some students find it online. And one of the students came up and just said something out loud that he never thought he would say out loud and just like, like bear hugged me for like a solid minute because he realized that, you know, his disabilities are. I mean, it's a part of who he is, but it's nowhere near who he is. And mm -hmm. it surprises me that students don't really hear that nearly as often as they should. That if you feel inadequate, if you feel like you're not a math person, if you've been diagnosed, if you have an IEP, if you have a 504, if you're an English learner, that's just the part. That's nowhere near who you are, and that's nowhere near how, how much you can thrive and enjoy mathematics in our classroom. So it's just getting them to talk getting them to to see math in the way that i see math mm -hmm. um outside of the classroom and to bring that in the classroom with them yeah that's cool mm -hmm. so i want to switch gears to a different role that you've got with the national council of supervisors as the editor of journal of mathematics education leadership or the ncsm jmel I think is how you guys refer to it. Yeah. Um, what sort? First of all, congratulations on being named editor. That's uh, that's awesome, mm -hmm. and also yes. a lot of work <laughs> probably coming your way. <laughs> um, what sorts of things uh, will math teacher educators find in the journal? And then, are you looking for any particular stuff for people to submit? Um, or any what, what sort? What can? What would you like to tell us about the journal? Yeah, well, it is going to be a lot of work, but I, I think the first thing is I got a lot of, I got some big shoes to fill because there's a couple of people, Aaron and Paula, who Aaron just went off as the editor and Paula's now the editor and I'm her assistant until I become the editor. Okay. So yeah. it's like an evolutionary role, but they were just, they've been absolutely amazing. I can't stress how wonderful NCSM has been and just welcoming me with open arms. Um, we're always looking for four different types of uh, journal articles. One of them is empirical case studies and lessons learned from math education, you know, leadership positions. Uh, the second one is empirical research report with implications for math leaders. Mm -hmm. The third one is uh, professional development efforts, um, how they're situated in larger contexts, um, leadership practices, stuff like that. And the fourth one would be uh, program descriptions of leadership-focused uh, implementation of just different practices in math education. Um, and we're always taking submission. And the other thing that's less uh, publicized, but we really need in order to make this happen, is we need reviewers. So if you're interested in mixed methods, qualitative, quantitative reviewing, please reach out because we're always on the lookout for good reviewers um, because they're really, <laughs> I couldn't do my job without them, without their words, without their perspectives. Um, and we've had some really stellar reviewers. So if you're interested in that, 
minus now. That's great. We'll we'll link to that uh, that website in the show notes as well, so people can do that. So, it it is a great journal. Um, if you're looking for anything related to mathematics education leadership, you got all those different uh, types of articles that you talked about, and then um, reviewing is always a great thing to do to get to know more about the journal. So if you want to submit something, you have an idea of what the reviewers are looking for <laughs> exactly. uh, while you're sub before you submit. That's great. Yeah. And there's also too like reach out because when in doubt, there's sometimes we get articles where they don't quite fit the journal, but we have the NCSM inspiration. Um, okay. And I'll, I'll be honest, I wrote an article for that called You're Muted about professional development. Mm -hmm. I'm, and I'm going around doing training for districts based on that article. Yeah. So it's kind of a matter of get get your feet wet, start writing. You never know where it's gonna where it's gonna lead. That's awesome, uh, Sean. Do you have anything else to promote um, besides uh, what we talked about already? <laughs> I guess I kind of did because I said I was doing PD on effective PD for districts. Yeah. Um, in terms of NCSM, uh, we have a lot of different things coming up, like coaching events coming up, coaching corner, first one. Well, if you, it'll be dropped after, but it's going to be a series of a few different uh, virtual, um, virtual meetings where we're going to help coaches to coach better. And there's also other uh, purposeful um, ways that we're helping to promote and really foster new math leaders and new math coaches because it's different the first and second year you're on that learning curve mm -hmm. um, also the networking nights are great uh, i think i'm going to be doing one in the next month or two but the biggest thing too is volunteering because i think i said it already but there's these people are just absolutely amazing um, in terms of me i have a book that's coming out in the spring cross my awesome. fingers hope i'll meet the oh, deadline wonderful. yeah it's uh, empathetic storytelling to critically challenge educational structures so when me and a colleague uh jackie maraska pitched the book uh our pitch was she's a straight white female i'm a straight white male so we're not going to fill up empathetic story an empathetic storytelling book or a critical storytelling book with our stories so we opened it up and we have over 20 uh authors for over 20 uh chapters where they're gonna purposefully tell their story in a really raw way so that we can reflect on um stories underlying identity and belonging caring and relationships and you have the isms and bullying within each chapter is going to be a component of you have to choose why did you make the choices you made and would you have done it different and reflection on biases their biases and our biases as well so hopefully that'll drop in the, in the springtime sometime that's oh, exciting that's yeah we'll try to we'll, i'll try to find information it's hard to find a link to a book that's not out yet but, uh, <laughs> <laughs> we'll try to follow up and maybe after it's out uh re-edit those show notes and get that link in there that'd be great well, thanks for joining us, Sean. This has been a great conversation. I'm really glad we've finally been able to, to get this done. Yeah, thanks for having me. Yeah. And thanks again to you all for listening to the Teaching Math Teaching Podcast. If you like what you hear, please subscribe to the podcast. We hope you're able to take action on something that you just heard and interact with other math teacher educators. Also, uh, did you know that AMT has another podcast, the Mathematics Teacher Educator Podcast? 
the MTE podcast accompanies the latest edition of the Mathematics Teacher Educator Journal and has authors discuss the work they have submitted for publication to the journal. You can find a link to the MTE podcast in the show notes for this episode.